Uh, as always, it is wonderful to be here to see you and to share with you this morning. My name's Ben. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my family and I normally live on the Silk Road, where we're intercultural workers with what is now called Baptist Mission Australia, previously Global Interaction, and before that, the Australian Baptist Missionary Society. Uh, but what you need to know is Baptist Mission Australia is who we are currently now. Uh, it is an absolute joy and privilege to be able to share with you this morning on the topic of mission and prayer. Now, in some ways, prayer can be a confusing thing for many of us. We know that we should pray, don't we? But at the same time, sometimes we wonder, what's the point? I mean, God is sovereign. He knows all things. He is in control of the universe. He knows what will happen. Is prayer pointless then? Or it's true that God already knows everything that will happen for the rest of eternity. He knows the big events. He knows the small moments of each of our lives and nothing is beyond his control. So it's a mistake to think of prayer as the way that we change God's mind or alter his direction in a situation. Prayer, though, is a process through which we learn to trust God. He listens to us patiently. He takes our requests seriously. Then he considers everything in the context of the bigger picture that only he can see. And that's one of the glorious mysteries of God. It's the paradox of prayer. God does hear our prayers. As a very wise person once said, prayer uh, in the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. I'm sure that many of us here this morning know of countless examples of the way that God has answered our prayers. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of attending a workshop uh, being held by a man called David Garrison. Now, David Garrison uh, is a person who has spent much of his life in the world of mission, both as a missionary and now as a researcher. And what he was researching most recently uh, was the history of movements of people coming to know Jesus out of Islam. And what he found was that in the first 1,300 years, uh, post the death of the Prophet Muhammad, there were two voluntary movements of people groups from Islam to Christianity. So that's uh, a group of 1,000 people or more. So in 1,300 years, there were two groups of voluntary movements. That's not the forced uh, conversions that happened. It's voluntary movements. But then something, something weird happened. In the last 30 years, there have been 80 groups of people, of Muslim people, that have moved from Islam to Christianity. So there were two groups in 1,300 years. And then in the last 30 years, there's been at least 80 groups. So what changed? There's a lot of reasons that he found that uh, suggested why this was starting to happen. But one of the most significant and one that I find most fascinating is that 30 years ago, pretty much 30 years ago, a group of committed Christians came together 
and they decided that they were going to pray for the Muslim world during the month of Ramadan. And so that's what's called the 30 days of prayer for the Muslim world. And so every year for the past 30 years, Christians have been coming together and they have been dedicated to praying specifically for the Muslim people, asking that they will, be, uh, that they will enter into the kingdom of God, that they will re- uh, receive a revelation of Jesus Christ. And God has answered that prayer. 80 groups in the past 30 years is incredible. So that's, that's our dilemma, isn't it? On the one hand, there are barriers that stop us from praying. They're, they're the things that we think, you know, is there a point? Why do we do it? Uh, there's also practical reasons, like I've got two young kids, uh, and there are practical reasons why it's hard to pray sometimes. Uh, but on the other hand, we can clearly see that prayer is an important part of both our own spiritual lives and the growth of God's church. So what should we do? Where should we begin? And most importantly, how should we pray? This morning, I want us to look at a simple but well-known prayer. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, can you open it, please, to Matthew? We are going to read from chapter 26, starting at verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36 starts, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's pray. Lord, open our ears, open our ears to hear your word and to know your voice. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills that we may serve you today, now and always. Amen. This part of Matthew's gospel reveals a different part of Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we get a glimpse of the power of Jesus. We've seen Jesus command the storms to be still. We've seen Jesus drive out demons. We've seen Jesus turn a small boy's meal into enough to feed 5,000 people. We've heard him speak with strength and conviction. 
And that is the kind of Jesus that we most often think about and sing about, isn't it? We sing songs that celebrate Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as King, Jesus as healer, Jesus as all-powerful. These are good things to sing about. They are good things to remember. But do we sing songs about Jesus downcast, Jesus burdened? In this part of the gospel, we overhear sobs of weakness. We are reminded that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. In verse 37 we read, And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In Luke's account of this same story, we we read that Jesus was in so much anguish that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was overwhelmed must be one of the most powerful sentences for any of us who have struggled with self-doubt or who have felt abandoned or who have experienced tragedy. This Jesus, who is the Lord of creation, also experienced these same human feelings. Jesus understands what it is to experience sorrow so deep that it feels as if it is pressing the life out of you. Why was Jesus so overwhelmed to the point of death? In verse 39, Jesus cries out in prayer, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knows what's coming. From chapter 20 in Matthew's Gospel, he has been telling his disciples that he will die. So his impending death is not a surprise to him. However, as Jesus looks forward to his closest friends abandoning him, his heavenly Father turning his face away from him, his imminent death, he is overwhelmed and he cries out to his Father. Specifically, he asks for this cup to be taken from him. What is this cup? This is the cup of judgment. It is the cup of divine wrath. The Gethsemane picture that we get is one of an obedient but reluctant Messiah. The cup, it causes Jesus to cower. What about it was so repulsive that he asked to avoid it? Well, the Old Testament, it provides some insight into why Jesus dreaded this cup. Um, Both prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah describe it as the cup of God's wrath. It is the cup in the hands of God that's filled with the wine of his wrath against sin. Sinful humans deserve to drink the cup of God's judgment all the way to the bottom. That, that would be justice. But this was the cup that would be handed to Jesus to drink. Christ committed to the Father to drink this cup. That's what he came to earth to do. We know the end, don't we? We know that Jesus drinks a cup. We know that he is obedient to the point of death on a cross. We know that God will raise Jesus from the dead. We know that we have now been united with Christ, now that God has no wrath left for us. But before the cross, before the resurrection, Jesus is still in the garden. He is still facing this cup. So what does he do? 
he prays. He draws on the prayer that he taught his disciples to use, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he prays a part of it, doesn't it? He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is such a simple prayer. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Father, may your will be done. So simple, yet so costly. So simple, yet so powerful. Jesus was able to submit what he wanted for the sake of what he wanted more. Jesus knew the cost of submission to the Father's will, yet he had a greater longing that overcame his desire to avoid the judgment of God. It was to fill the purpose and the plan of his Father, leading to a way for humanity to come back into true relationship with God. In the first garden, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the attitude, not your will, but mine. And this changed paradise to desert. It brought humanity from Eden to Gethsemane. Now Jesus prays, not my will, but yours. And this brings anguish to the man who prays it, but it also transforms the desert into the kingdom. And it brings humanity from Gethsemane into the kingdom of heaven. Was Jesus' prayer heard? From one point, it seems not. Jesus cried out for another way, but another way wasn't provided. Shortly after he prayed this prayer, he was betrayed. He was handed over to the Romans. He was tortured, mocked, crucified. However, at the same time, his prayer was that he would be submissive to the Father's will, that even in his darkest hour, that his will would be aligned with his Father's. And that is what happened. Jesus submitted to the will of God. This passage, it teaches us something incredibly valuable about prayer. Prayer is all about relationship. It's about bringing us into alignment with God. When we pray, your will be done, we're acknowledging that we're a part of God's plans for this world. Jesus' prayer in the garden, in his moment of a despair, of despair, was a way of bringing himself back into alignment with his Father. What is the will of the Father? It is for his creation to turn to him, for his creation to praise him as he is rightly due. So then the relationship between prayer and mission is asking God for his will to be done. When we pray for missionaries to get a visa to enter a country, we're asking this so that they can go and share the good news of Jesus so that his will will be done. When we ask that God will miraculously intercede on behalf of someone, we're not asking it for our own glory, we're asking it for God's glory so that his will would be done. We should all be praying this prayer of submission we have all been reminded throughout this series uh, that we are part of God's mission, whether we live in Kerwin or North Ward, Townsville or Sydney, Melbourne, Australia or Bulgaria or Kosovo. Daily, we are part of God's mission to this world. We are all his ambassadors. Uh, 
as uh, Pierre shared earlier this morning, as a church, Northreach has a multitude of ways that it is connecting with partners in local mission. We are all involved in the mission of God, so we should all be committing to this, to declaring to God, your will be done. Recently, uh, Petra and I had a quite a significant decision to make. We shared this with some of our uh, like-minded, some of our Christian friends on the Silk Road, and they prayed with us about it. Now, I assumed that my friends, my formerly good friends' prayer, would be for wisdom or discernment to make the right decision. These are these are safe prayers. Um, it's not that they're wrong. Praying for wisdom and discernment in making a decision, that's, that's a good thing to pray for. But what he prayed, he said, God, help Ben and Petra to be obedient to your will. I thought, oh, this is so challenging. We'd been wrestling with what, wrestling with what to do, what was the right decision. There was the easier, safer path uh, that enabled us to faithfully serve God in the known. Then there was a path that led to the unknown, the scary path, but the path that we both realized was the one that God was asking us to submit to. That was the path that we needed to take if we were to be obedient. Jesus' prayer is simple, but it is dangerous. It costs us. It costs Jesus his life. But we're called to the same path, to the same, to pray the same simple prayer. We can express our own preference. We can even struggle in prayer over our own will. But in the end, we do well to make the same choice, the path of submission. Praying this prayer will keep us in alignment with God and his will and his plan for this world. I love how a guy called Ed Stetzer describes the potential outcome of praying this kind of prayer. He writes, One of the most familiar yet radical statements in Scripture comes from the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're never going to see this culmination perfectly fulfilled, of course, until Christ returns in full glory when he will bring a highly visual end to the rebellion of the world system. But until that time, our rescued condition compels us into becoming agents of rebellion, working intentionally to subvert the devil's claim to authority over ours and others' individual lives. In a sense, we are a worldwide network of underground operatives poking more holes in Satan's enterprise than he can possibly plug. We live out our daring mission, serving others, and pulling them back from his traps. Friends, we are part of a subversive kingdom. Let us continue to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for his kingdom to grow. Pray for people to continue to come into it, whether it is here or abroad. As we close, would you stand with me, please, as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.